it seems to me that perhaps there is a greater gap between the regular season playoffs stylistically than ever before with the way teams play. Because before, the mid-range jumper was... I mean, it wasn't like everyone's preferred shot, but it definitely was one that was used a lot more, you know, back in the 90s or whatever. But now with the proliferation of, like, the three-point shot, it seems to me that, like, the gap between regular season and postseason stylistically is just so vast. Yeah, I mean... So, I mean, the thing with NBA has always been they trends take the league in certain directions as as a three-pointer has because it's pretty simple math. I mean, a three-pointer is not that much farther than a two-pointer and it gets more points. But if you take a team like the Warriors, I think they're top five, top ten in um, mid-range throughout the regular season. And that's because they have the best mid-range shooter in the league. And and, and vice versa in terms of, um, you know, with Kawhi and Giannis and Middleton is – if your team happens to have great mid-range jump shooters, like if you happen to, if some team finds a player like let's say Shaq that could dominate on post-ups, you're gonna go to a shot that is fifty, you know, fifty percent. Um, and you, and it's still, I think, playing the percentages. But I'd be interested to see if we didn't have probably the three, some of the three best mid-range jump shooting teams, if the trends would still change. Do you know what I mean? I think it might just be an exception because of these teams. That's part of it, but also, um, I mean, the team that took the most mid-range jumpers this year by a considerable margin was the Spurs. Um, Mm -hmm. And their numbers didn't shift that much regular season to postseason in terms of the number of mid-range jumpers they're taking. Um, But, I mean, that is a good point. That is a good point because... You do have Kawhi, you do have KD, you even have someone like Chris Middleton, who I think is exceptional in the mid-range game. Um, so certainly stylistically, like some of the guys that are left would perhaps distort this opinion of mine. Um, well, take the game Game Seven example, for example. I mean, look, the game seven. Game seven, I think it was Toronto, and um, was it what was the game? Seven? I'm trying to remember. Philly. It was Toronto and Philly, right? It there was sort of this paralysis from a lot of the Toronto players. And I think Kawhi hosted 41 shots or something. Yeah. And a lot of Kawhi's comfort zone is these mid-range jumpers. And that's the same with Giannis and the same with Middleton. And, you know, the sphincters kind of tighten in uh, the playoffs. And I think anybody in any profession, but specifically high-level athletes, which I would not know what that's like, but I've been around a couple people who were. And people will say, you know, you go to what's comfortable. It was this whole conversation. Remember with Tim Tebow when he was like trying to learn how to fix his throwing mechanics, and everyone's like, "Yeah, but when he got into a game, he just went back to his old thing." Oh yeah. It's kind of this. It, maybe it's not the best analogy, but it's kind of like that. You go back to what's comfortable. And Kawhi Leonard, we see if he's going to need a bucket, whether it's in the second quarter, the fourth quarter, or some of these guys, they're gonna they're gonna shoot mid range jump shots. This might be very simplified analysis, and someone who knows a hell of a lot more might. You know, might add, but I think that that's a large part of it. And I don't think, for example, Houston. I don't think Houston shot any more mid-range jumpers. They were taking, for what I could check, they're taking like four a game in the regular season and about four a game in the postseason. So it wasn't a huge jump up for them. Um, but again, that might just be who they have. You know, James Harden. Weirdly, he's okay in the mid-range, but he doesn't seem to do that a whole lot. Chris Paul used to be unstoppable in the mid-range. I don't, I don't feel like he is quite that anymore. 
Um, and I, I, you wonder, there's now the discussion. Yesterday, Scotty Pippen uh, echoed the sentiments of a lot of people when he was talking to, I think it was P.J. Tucker or Clint Capella, one of those two. And he was saying that he doesn't think that Mike D'Antoni should get an extension because, quote, you know, we've seen what this, we've seen this style of play and after seven games, people figure out, figure you out and you're done. Um, which I'm, I think we both can agree is pretty fucking stupid to say that Mike D'Antoni, like, shouldn't get a contract extension when, like, he went to game seven against the Warriors last year. And if his team makes literally one of 27 threes, they win this, they win that series against the Warriors. So that's silly. But I do think that what we do see in the playoffs is that these teams that rely on scheme to manufacture points, you can't rely on that as much. And you have guys that, you know, ultimately at a, at the end of the day, someone on your team is going to have to get buckets out of a play out of a play design that just did not work. And how many times you talk about with Kawhi? Well, I mean, I, go ahead. Well, okay. So I mean, the Houston conversation really bugs me. Um, did that just because the conversation about D'Antoni is always just kind of dumb and oversimplified? But I think. We just Houston's running up against one of the greatest teams, if not the greatest team of all time. Is their system really failing, or are they just losing to a better team? Right. Well, people just don't just don't understand that. Like, like they're losing to probably the greatest team of all time, a team that is the first team to make five straight finals. Kobe's late and Shaq's Lakers didn't do that. Jordan and Pippen's Bulls didn't do that. Uh, 86 Celtics didn't do that. Magic Lakers didn't do that. And that's who they're losing to. So, miss me with that whole, it's just dumb. It's dumb. Right. Well, and just ultimately, there's only so far that scheme can take you in the NBA. And that should be the lesson. Like Anyone who thinks that a coach single-handedly is going to change things, you're just not paying attention. Let me ask you a question. Is Houston going any farther with any other coach in the NBA in the world? No. I mean, you could replace... Like, you could replace D'Antoni with, like, Greg Popovich. Is not getting them that far. Like, I'm, it, I'm is, just, is even Popovich is getting that far? Is going to get, well, yeah. Pop, maybe, yeah. He's he's the is only Pop one... Is the Warriors with that team? I don't think he would, but I, I couldn't rule it out. Um, okay, so Pop's probably the greatest basketball coach of all time, and and I'm a big Pop believer. I think he's the greatest basketball coach of all time. I still don't think he wins. Probably not. Series. No, I mean, basketball is a game about talent. And I think right. that they're – and let's uh, – this is not to say that coaching doesn't matter at all because it absolutely does. It matters a great deal. But it doesn't matter as much, you know, when one team has significantly better players. That's just the way it is. Well, also, can we also say that or another thing we never talk about is but Golden State has a fucking great coach. Right, yeah, Steve Kerr, Hall of Fame coach. Steve Kerr's a, Steve Kerr's, Steve Kerr's a great coach. Yeah, I mean, he's a great is coach. Is Steve Kerr top three coach in the league? Or top five, at least, probably. Uh, Probably. It's difficult yeah. because I think that – I do think that we have a few really good coaches – Right. Um, like I would say, like, like I just don't know how to compare, like Steve Kerr to Quinn Snyder, for example. Sure, that makes sense. 
And I think that I, I think a lot of times Stevens for that part. Right. And so I think a lot of times people I think it's I think a lot of times people trying to say this coach is better than this coach when in reality a lot of these coaches are better suited for different situations. Um, like I'm not a big um, what do you call I'm not I'm I was very down on what Jason Kidd was doing in Milwaukee last year, and I think pretty much anyone who's ever touched a basketball and watched that was offended by what he did there. But I do think there's something to be said about maybe Jason Kidd would be better suited for a job where he's not having to. He's, where he's not being tasked with developing younger players. He might be the kind of guy that is able right. to garner the respect of veterans. So, like, Do you know who ironically fits that exact same bill is Vogel. Yeah. I think Vogel's the exact same way. I think he was an excellent coach in Indiana. And, uh, and then Orlando, well, you know how I feel about Orlando. And that, that's just not a job I think anybody can, you know, succeed I mean, that was a dumpster fire. Is Steve Clifford their coach now? Yeah, Clifford's their coach, and he's right. he's fine. How do you feel about Steve Clifford? Like I said, he he's he's a coach. I think he's fine. Yeah, um, he's a guy. I thought he did fine in Charlotte. I don't think that um, you know I don't think it's really fair to blame him that they paid a lot. I mean, a lot of money to Nick Batum right before Batum got really hurt, and gave a lot of money to. Bismack Biombo for a reunion that literally nobody was clamoring for. And I have been, and I say that as probably the biggest Biombo fan on the planet. And no one was clamoring for that. But anyway, right. Uh, you know, different coaches work better for different things. So I, you know, I don't know if Steve Kerr, if you put him in Utah, would he have the same success with those guys trying to develop that system? Whereas, and I don't know that Quinn Snyder would be having. I don't know. I think success. Steve Kerr has proven to be a pretty good developmental coach. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm not saying he is. His players did get better. Right. So I mean, he very well could be. I mean, I just, I just don't know. Yeah. And like, and that to me is yeah. why, and that to me is why I think Greg Popovich is why he is infinitely better than any other coach in my opinion because he has proven that he could do it both ways. He can have a group of young, unknown guys and groom them into title contenders or at least fringe title contenders. And he can have a team with multiple Hall of Famers and balance those egos as well. And it helped, obviously, that Tim Duncan was the superstar on that team. Not much of a headache kind of guy. But Popovich deserves credit for that. Um, And let's move on from that coaching discussion to a team that... Shifted coaches this year and likely has this year's Coach of the Year winner, Mike Budenholzer. The Milwaukee Bucks, after taking a commanding 2-0 lead, many people thought they were going to go into Toronto and stick their foot on the throats of the Raptors, especially after Game 3, Toronto won only after going to double overtime. But last night, the Raptors fought back and really dominated Milwaukee en route to a Game 4 victory. Series knotted up at 2 what are your thoughts on what were your thoughts entering game three versus what your thoughts are now? Well, so I thought that Toronto was probably going to win game three. Um, and I was really high in Milwaukee, so this wasn't sort of, um, 
I guess, an indication that I thought Toronto was going to be going to get back into the series. I thought they were going to split, basically. I thought they were going to go three one. It's a bit surprising, but I also have to say I don't find Milwaukee to be. I think Milwaukee. We're doing this thing with Milwaukee where we really want a team to compete with the Warriors, and we really want to find a way in which we can get revved up for a finals. Because since 2016, basically every finals, it's been this is going to be the Warriors in five, maybe six. But there's no chance there's nothing, any other outcome than of that. And I think people know that if Toronto plays Golden State. Um, they just don't have as high of a ceiling. So I think, so at least for me subconsciously, I had to reflect and say, you know what, I think I was hyping up Milwaukee because I was trying to convince myself that they could beat the Warriors. And in the process, I, I overestimated the gap between those two teams, when in fact they're, they're pretty evenly matched teams. And I... it's not inconceivable now that Toronto, we could, Toronto could win the series. I just think that Milwaukee at its best, can be better than Golden State. Not better than Golden State, I'm sorry, that's totally wrong. Can give Golden State a better fight than Toronto, just because they have a higher ceiling. Um, so maybe that's what I was I was thinking about. Does that make sense? I think we, we're just so desperate for, for a team, especially a young up-and-coming team that has built basically the way Golden State built, like through the draft, through pretty clutch trades and free agent signings. And, uh, so I think Milwaukee's kind of the new fun team to root for. Kind but of. some big holes. I think that... I'll say this. I think that that, I think that analysis isn't being fair to Toronto. I saw a lot of people yeah, last night... Totally, I saw a lot of people last night talking about, man, you know, Milwaukee's offense just looks like shit sometimes. I just don't know if they could do it. And it's like, you know what, motherfucker? There's another team playing defense that's making Milwaukee look bad. Like, have you considered that maybe that's part of it? That maybe Kawhi Leonard, who, remember in the fucking NBA Finals, limited LeBron James in the prime of his career. Defensively, he was able to limit him, and then also was good enough offensively to claim Finals MVP. I mean, that's a great player right there. This Raptors team... Is Kawhi healthy? I don't know if he's 100%, but I do think people are overstating how hurt he is. Just because they saw the one time he, he was limping and all that. But I don't think that he's like, I don't think he's going to need like an off-season surgery or anything. I think he's a little banked up and tired. Because you remember they had they had that game seven. And then two days later, we're in Milwaukee for game one against the Bucks. Um, And so I don't like, I said before the postseason, and I still believe this, I think it was patently absurd for people to act like Houston was the top contender to beat Golden State when Milwaukee and Toronto were better in the regular season, and I think they were they've proven to be better in the playoffs as well. And on top of that, I mean, I I agree. I mean, I think that's true, but also I think Milwaukee again. So what you're saying is true, and I'm not disagreeing with any of it. But what I what I'm trying to say is I think it's a two part discussion. I think one, it's a very realistic chance that Toronto wins the series, and I think I forgot just how good they were, and you're right about that. But I think if there is a team that can be um, that can be Golden State, it's Milwaukee, not Toronto. I, I mean, I I said before the postseason, I predicted Bucks over Warriors. So I'm like I'm here with you. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I think both teams yeah. could beat them, particularly because it doesn't look like Kevin Durant is going to be a hundred percent for the series. Um, and with that, I mean, I, I get it. Toronto 
and Milwaukee, it, it seems like both of them are kind of running into similar issues, in, particularly in this series, where the other side has just said, all right, you know, the only person who can we can guarantee get his own bucket anytime he wants is Giannis. Only guy who can guarantee get his bucket anytime he wants is Kawhi. We're not letting that happen. And so we're starting to see, I mean, Toronto the past two games has just built up a wall to stop Giannis. And uh, you look at the box score, and the box score looks pretty good for, for Giannis. I think he ended up, I'm going to make sure I have this right, he ended up 25 points on 17 shots. I mean, that's a that looks like a nice little line for him. But it did not feel like Giannis had any kind of impact on the game like he normally does on offense. And part of that is they decided in Game 3 to put Kawhi on him straight up a lot of the time. So Kawhi is able to slow him down and give time for the wall to come. And when that happens, Giannis has to be more accurate on those, pa- on those passes to the outlets, generally on the corners. And it feels like one out of every three passes from Giannis in those situations ends up in turnovers. And, you know, maybe he's... I think of him as a good passer, but you start to see he's not quite Ben Simmons or Lonzo Ball or Jason Kidd, Chris Paul, Steve Nash, whatever. He's not that level of passer yet. And I don't... I think he can get there. No, no, he's not. And... No, and I think... I, well, just quickly, I think that the I mean, so Kawhi, and for me, maybe I've bought into this idea that he's fairly hurt, but Kawhi, I think, has shown that he can be the best player in any series. Yeah. Um, I think he's shown, and I, again, again, if you ask me who would you rather have on your team, I'd rather have Giannis, but who would I rather have for a series? Probably Kawhi in 2019. Yeah, I mean, long-term, Giannis um, is the guy. And I think Kawhi could be the best player in a series against the Warriors. Easily. I mean, he's that good of a player. And I think something that hasn't been discussed, but that's, that's interesting, is that the remaining three teams really do not have a whole lot of depth at guard. Which... You know, it's kind of odd. You, you wouldn't think about that since Golden State has Seth and Clay, so, you know, basically like the best backcourt ever. But, you know, it's Clay, it's Steph, and it's Iggy, and then, like, Quinn Cook. Not a whole lot there. I mean, Golden State has to, has to come out with a lot of larger lineups in the same way Milwaukee does. Like, Milwaukee, their best. Milwaukee theoretically should have a big advantage at guard in this series, particularly with OG Ananobi out. And we saw that in the games that they won. When the Bucks looked great, that was when George Hill was going crazy for like 30 points. And he and Brogdon were combining for like 48. Um, but I thought in game four, Bledsoe, George Hill, and Brogdon were all no-shows. Just might as well have not have been on the court. I forgot. Yeah, I mean, Tony. That's the big thing with the Bucks again is they have they have a, they have a, they swing in such violent directions, and I think when those guys are going, they present um, unique defensive flexibility and mismatches on many teams. Yeah, again, they would present certain mismatches for Golden State, but I think Toronto is we kind of and again this I hope this analysis is too simplified, but I think Toronto we know how good they are. And we know if they got into a Warriors series that they would probably take them six games. 
Um, Milwaukee could lose in five, could take them six, but Milwaukee could take it seven and give it a chance. Um, and and there's a, just a high swing of variables because I think Giannis and guys like Hill, Brogdon, and Bledsoe um, can be really, really good. But there's another reason why a guy like Bledsoe has bounced around for a while, why Hill's bounced around, why Brogdon kind of met sometimes. Yeah. And Brogdon coming back off injury, so he might not be fully in rhythm yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, how so, much you going to get from Ursan Ilyasova and, and a lot of these guys who have had fine careers, but... Right. It's just more of like... It feels like the Bucks have like nine really good guys, and there's only two of them that I feel really confident I want on the floor at the end of the game, and that's Giannis and Middleton. I don't know who the yeah, other exactly. Like the who are the best? Who are the other three guys you want around those two on Milwaukee for the last like three minutes of a tight game? Are you putting like Brogdon Bledsoe. out there? Bledsoe. Uh, I mean, not with the way he's played this series. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I think you have to ride with him. Potentially, maybe not. Uh, I, I, I'd give Bledsoe and Hill or Brogdon. Uh, mm. It depends on Brogdon's playing the game. And then depending on the lineup, you either throw in uh, a big... Like Lopez or Miritich. Like Lopez, or you try to throw in a guy like, or a guy like Miritich, yeah. Preferably Miritich, probably. Yeah. Just because it gives you a bit more flexibility to run some different offensive sets and maybe can move a bit more on defense. Yeah. Um, but Bledsoe just – also Bledsoe gives you more defensive upside. Bledsoe That's true. can really play defense. That's a great um, point. Not all the time, but Bledsoe can play, can play defense. And um, that matters. And he's, he's a physical guard. Yeah. I just – I think anytime any team is going to try and go – big against Toronto, I just don't know if that's going to work out. Because Toronto's no. big lineup is so terrifyingly good defensively. Like I, it, It's hard to fathom. Like They got Gasol, Abaka, Siakam, Kawhi, and then you put whoever else, like put probably Lowry at point guard then. But a lineup like that, how do you score against that? And I'm saying like, I mean I showed you those defensive numbers so, uh, what do you call it? I didn't bring it up on the pod, but before game four, Zach Lowe pointed out, in the first three games, in the half court, the Bucks are averaging 80 points per 100 possessions in the half court, which would be by far the lowest in the league and is easily the lowest of any of the conference finalists, including Portland, who's already eliminated. So that shows you what Toronto has been able to do shutting down Milwaukee. And it shows that Milwaukee really... They were they required getting the easy buckets in transition because if you're playing a half court game, Toronto's going to shut you down. And I feel like the same thing could happen against Golden State, where it gets yeah, to be a half court game. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Durant's I, the big thing too because Durant also offers them. Look, I understand that I, I'm a big honestly I'm a big believer in Golden State, especially I think they play a different style without Durant. Um, and, and, and we've seen it in the in the Portland series, but Durant offers them a bit more defensive flexibility. Yeah. Um, because he's big. 
and he and he can guard guys like Giannis, and he can guard guys like Miritich. Um, and I think he's him not being there will also will all, I think if he's there, depending on how healthy he's, he is, that will have a big sort of impact in what kind of defensive schemes they can run. Definitely. And I, you know what else? Like because Kevin Kevon and then you have to switch Iguodala around. But I mean, all but Draymond and Draymond continues to play like the way he's playing. Um. Yeah, I mean that's the Milwaukee's in some trouble. See, that's Toronto. That's the part. I mean, Milwaukee or Toronto. Um, what do you call yeah. it? I mean, that's the thing that's been totally under discussed about the Warriors this run. You know, it, it just it's so annoying hearing these people say like, oh, well, you know. This proves that Kevin Durant is unnecessary and the team is so much better without him. And it's like, all right, well, you know what? Maybe, uh, what do you call it? Like, it's not Kevin Durant's fault this happened, but, like, it's not a coincidence they started looking amazing after Draymond Green decided to actually get in shape and start playing like his old self and actually start hitting threes. And it's not a coincidence that he started playing better when Andre Iguodala became a 38% three-point shooter. All these things are true. I mean, you Pete. You and, I mean, there is the semblance of truth. They play different style of basketball than they do when Kevin Durant's on the court, and it it won them a championship, and it probably would have won them another one. But I mean, whatever we can say about Durant, I you know what? I'm probably I'm probably of the mind. I mean, he's easily is he the best player in the league? Maybe. Um, probably. Maybe um, I don't, I'm kind of. I mean, that's not the whole other discussion. But he definitely helps your team. Right. Well, let's like be honest with it. Like, let's just be real about the competition they faced since Durant went out. They had like they had five minutes in Game Five. They had to hold on for dear life against Houston, but they already had the lead for that. And then they go Game Six against Houston. They had they had to beat one game against the Rockets without Durant. One game. And so, like for one game, is it like it's not crazy for Steph and Clay and Iggy and Draymond to outplay Harden, Gordon, Chris Paul, and PJ Tucker? That's not that crazy. Oh, to be fair, this this hard against Portland. Although I don't think Portland's Portland's not nearly the team Houston is. Uh, Portland's not not some. It's pretty impressive to sweep this team. I mean, kind of, but like Portland is already without Nurkic. Uh, Dame Lillard had yeah, like the but, separated I mean, Portland, ribs. Portland just won two two pretty impressive series. Again, should the Golden State have won? Yeah, absolutely. But I think I think. I mean, Portland was a hot team who played really well in the series, and, and the Warriors just found a way to beat them every single night. I, Portland is like, easy, like, like if we're ranking the playoff teams, Portland is like maybe seventh. Like, let's be honest about what Portland is, because like I, but sure, okay, fine, yeah, I get that, but I mean, and sweeping them is impressive. I get, but they were still down like thirteen in every game, and that's my point, and that's equally impressive. I think that speaks more to. I mean, it speaks a bit to Portland, obviously, but it speaks more to Golden State, I think so, than it does um, any ineptitude on Portland's part. It's not ineptitude on Portland's part. I'm just saying that, like, the fact that Golden State got down big in all those games against Portland is kind of a little concerning. Because, I mean, I don't think that, like, with Lillard hurt and already no Nurkic, I think the Clippers are easily a better team than what the Blazers were in the conference finals. So I'm going to, like... If Lillard is hurt, yeah. I mean, to whatever extent he was hurt, I mean, I know he was hurt, but... Um, uh, like, I just think that we we kind of under... We kind of slept on how shitty that side of the bracket was in the West. Like, it came no, out... We slept on... I, again, I don't know if we slept on it. I think we knew that it was weak. I think we knew that um, the real test was going to be Houston. 
And to some extent, I think the Clippers are going to be really good next year. I mean, I think the Clippers, like... They played really well. Like, the Clippers, I think, would have beaten... I feel... I would have bet on the Clippers against the Nuggets from what I saw. No. No, I wouldn't have. Um, I would have taken the Nuggets, especially with that home court. I guess. I mean, that home court wasn't... Eh. I don't know. I, just, I wasn't... I, I, I think that's a testament to how Portland played, though. I don't know. I mean, like, Denver kept missing all those shots. Like, it, it felt like the game was in their hands. Um, I mean... Right. I think Denver was the better team. I mean, I'm giving credit. Like, I, I think Portland deserves credit for where they've gotten. I'm just saying I don't view I don't view them as like one of the four best teams in the league, even if they were one of the final four. Um, no, that's fair. I, mean, that's, I think that's just objectively true. Right, and that's like to me that that's the issue is that now Kevin Durant goes out and the Warriors win five straight and it's in the conference finals and everyone now gets all the dumbasses who try and like argue that Steph is better than Kevin Durant now finally have, like, an argument for themselves, even though they haven't had one for two fucking years about Steph over Kevin Durant. And this is not, like, an anti-Steph rant. I love Steph Curry. I think he's amazing. I just don't know how you watch, the, like, the finals of the last two years and say, oh, Steph. Steph is the guy on this team. No. It's Kevin Durant. I mean, I hear you. I hear you. Um... Steph, in some ways, is the guy in that team. He's not the best player, but he's the, he's the man. Right, right. I mean, that's that's fine. Um, I mean, is but he's not. He if Durant if let's say Durant's the best player in the league, Steph's the third best player in the league, fourth best player in the league. It's close. I don't like this like best player in the league discussion. I'm a big I'm a big Steph fan. I mean, I think Steph's easily top four. Why well, I just. With the best player in the league discussion, I I don't like having it because it, it feels like it changes on a nightly basis. Um, no, I agree with you. I'm just I'm just putting it as a point of and I agree with you. I think it's just putting it as a point of reference. And I think if it changes on a nightly nightly basis, and I agree with that idea, I think that Steph is in the conversation. Steph ha- can be the best player in the NBA on a, on a given night. Absolutely, he can be. Um, I mean, he I for a solid stretch. Right, like, I would, st- like, it's just a question of, like, do I take... But Clay can't, for a point of reference, like, Clay can't, Draymond can't. Dr- Draymond, sometimes it feels like it gets close to Draymond. Draymond, no, he's not ever going to play, like, the best player in the league. No, but, like... He's too limited offensively. It's just, like, I don't think that... If I'm going to say, like, I think Steph is, like, decidedly a top three player in the league, then i got to box someone out. And there's a lot of good players. Like, am I... Sure. Am I... Do I, I, I edged you with top four. Like, do I feel confident? I mean, even top four. I mean, like... If, let me list out, like... Like, just these players here, like... I, I think you can put them in any order, and I'd be fine with it. You know, LeBron. Yeah, because LeBron... I mean, he's better than Harden. Oh, Harden is not in this discussion. Harden is a fucking fraud. Uh, but who... I mean, so... I, we don't have, this is like a first take, like, discussion. So um, we can just skip it. LeBron... <laughs> Um, LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Steph, Steph Curry. Steph Giannis. I go Steph Giannis. Like I pro- I think at this point Steph has to be above yeah, Anthony honestly, Davis. I would go. I go Kawhi. I go Durant, LeBron, Steph, Kawhi, Giannis. Uh, I I can't do that. Kawhi has been too good defensively this, this playoffs. Like what he has done against Giannis has been unbelievable. 
But I will say, I think... I know, and you know what? You're probably right, but I think Steph is a better player than Giannis. I think that is... No, that part I agree. Tell proven. Now, will he be next year or the year after? Maybe not. But Steph, I think Steph's a lock in the top four. But anyway, that's just showing you, I think... I think we're for... I'm glad that we're reminding ourselves how good Steph is. I think some of the conversation can get a bit dumb. Of course, he's not better than KD. Of course, they need KD. But I think we had forgotten how fucking awesome Steph was. Right. And I, I will say that, like, the problem is that, like, they're the extreme people who are, like, just the hardcore Steph fans. And I don't, like, I don't have nearly as much of a problem with people who are, like, hell-bent on Steph being the best player in the league than the people who are hell-bent on saying that, like, Kyrie Irving is better. Like, if you think Kyrie Irving oh, is better God. than Steph Curry, then you just do not watch basketball. There's, there's, well, you just, you watch it under this prism that is just wrong. Well, and, like, I do think, to an extent, you need, it, it feels like a lot of times you need a larger player that can get easy buckets when you need them. But let you can't just say uh, this guy is bigger, so he's automatically better than what Steph. You know what's dumb is I would say at least maybe forty to thirty percent of the NBA would take Kyrie over Steph, and it just shows you how. What would you think? I I think like twenty to thirty would. I think people in the NBA think Kyrie's the shit. Yeah, and like, yeah, I mean they love Kyrie because like he's got the handle. Yeah, the handle's it's disgusting. Kind of like he's the next mellow. Remember, everyone was like, man, Melo's a legend. Like, Melo's the hardest guard, the guy to guard in the league. And I think Melo got shit on a bit too much. But remember, NBA players were just like, Melo's the man. Well, you know, and they like... They were saying this even, like, two years ago. I mean, you do... Like, Melo, like, for, like, an eight-year stretch or some shit, was statistically the best clutch player in the league by far. Like, if you want a bucket... No, I understand. I think, I think Melo's underappreciated. But my point is, this was when Melo was, like, in OKC. And they were right. like, yeah, Melo's still an elite player, like... And you're just like, really? I mean, I think guys love... I think guys really like the players... Like, Carmelo and Kyrie have a street ball game. Yeah, Kobe was like that, too. They, they like guys who... It's also, like, it's also about the attitude. And you know this if you played sports. Like, you know that, like, those guys, one, are intimidating to play against, and you also gravitate towards them. Um, but we've known, and this is a bit too... Like, this is kind of what Maury and a lot of these... Um, sort of forward-thinking GMs that says we need to take sort of our initial impulse reactions, not even impulse, but emotional reactions about certain things, and we need to at least evaluate why they exist. And obviously, like, Kobe's fucking great. Melo's great. Kyrie's a great player. That's We can see it with our own eyes. But I think what Steph is doing is just, I mean, any idea that Kyrie, he's not even on the same plane. No. He's not on not. the same tier. He's not. Um, I want to I want to talk about Giannis again, um, as I often yeah. like to. I like to talk about him a lot. Um, He's awesome, right? Last night, I started to get the feeling. I don't again because like his numbers were were good last night, and I don't want to act like Giannis has just been completely eliminated. I mean, he like he kind of was game three. He had like twelve points and just was not good. Um, he had like twenty five rebounds, but yeah. Yeah, so he wasn't. But like, um, no, he wasn't. What do you call it? I don't know. Like at this point, has he developed a counter to what Toronto is bringing at him defensively? Because it does feel like no, and I don't, I don't think he's seen it. 
and I think that's part of the maturation process of a star player. I think their first, their big time moments in series yields a lot of firsts that are hard lessons to learn. You were talking about. And that's the thing, and it's through any. Talking about what? Was well, it you were talking about like how like guys revert back to what they're comfortable with, and you know throughout the year we were talking about and me specifically I was talking about how like well you know look. Giannis is taking more threes. He's feeling more confident. He's hitting them well. He's doing great with that. That's going to be huge this postseason. And then the postseason comes, and Giannis is shook. He's not comfortable taking these threes, and he's just not doing it. He's not taking the mid-range games. Like, he's stopped with a lot of these jump shots that keep teams honest. And it feels like at a certain point, if team – if the Raptors, and if, you know, maybe if they get past this, and Golden State employs a similar strategy. If they're just going to put a wall there and not let him drive to the basket, he's going to have to take those take those mid range jumpers. He's going to have to take them, and he's going to have to make them. I don't want to be the guy who's like reflecting on stories from his playing days, but like when I was playing high school in AU basketball and stuff, and especially in a significant game, and this was like high school and like state basketball. You just your game plan changes in bigger games, and you and. You, you you know if a guy has some for example if you're if you're supposed to guard a player and you're like this guy shot whatever let's say thirty five percent from three you still are aware of the fact that in a bigger game they're gonna go back to what they're comfortable with and that's I think what Giannis is doing I, I and again it's also a credit to Toronto right that's to be fair right and that's you were right. We got we we already talked about that, so we don't need to, to harp on it. Um, sure, but, but back to Giannis. I think I think what I think this is a really important point. I think that Giannis is on track to be an all time great player. I think with any all time great player, especially with not an not a world class supporting cast, he's going to encounter a lot of these bumps. Where you know you saw this with LeBron, you saw this with Kobe Bryant, you saw this with Michael Jordan. Is they're going to be played a certain way and they're going to be defended a certain way, or they're going to come across certain situations where they're not going to be ready or they haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. And he'll be ready for it the next time he sees it. He might even be ready for it game five. He'll adapt to it, but he's going to get hit in the mouth a couple times. Yeah, everyone, everyone's got and a plan. Just, that's what's going to happen. I mean, he's running into a smart coach with world class defenders, and Toronto's our place to play. And he's he's a kid. He's younger than I am. Yeah. These are some fucking tall ass like I said, these these are fucking big ass defenders. These are good players and like you know what we got I think we gotta give some credit to the Raptors players, specifically Kyle Lowry, who I was taking a dump on very recently for his yeah. like postseason not showing up sometimes. Lowry played amazing last night. I mean, if he continues to play like this, the Raptors I think can they can beat Golden State. Again, I'm not Golden State, we we're on the same page here. Golden State is a is a favorite and a notable favorite against either of these teams. Um, but I do think both of them can beat them in the right situation. And that situation for Toronto involves Kyle Lowry playing like this, and it involves Serge Ibaka, who I think Ibaka the last like two weeks has been Toronto's second best player more than Siakam. Is that crazy to say? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's been him and Lowry in terms of the most important players. That's fair. Um, I just think that, I mean, like... Because I think Lowry... I think Lowry is because Lowry allows an, um, a perimeter player to get his own shot off and can just add a different dimension. 
Um, yeah. So I think Lowry... But yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. No, I think that's right. Well, and like, the numbers don't really reflect it. I would be interested interested to see how much it changed in garbage time. But it felt like last night, Toronto just owned them on the boards. Like, they were getting... It wasn't even just that you're getting one offensive rebound. It would be possessions where they're getting off two, three, sometimes four shots because Milwaukee couldn't corral the rebound. And, like, is this, like, just going to be a series where the team that wins the rebounding battle ends up winning? Which is some serious, like, yeah, you know, the defense defense ends with the rebound – as every coach Which, likes by to the say. way, I think we've so overcorrected on that that we forgot that part of that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's We're important. Just kinda, and rightfully so, because it was just kind of disingenuously or not in sort of the in the most intelligent way, sort of beating into our head that like you get the boring. But like, I mean, because rebounders became overrated. Not rebounding, but rebounders became overrated, and we correlated that with rebounding being overrated. But rebounding is fucking important. Well, especially because like you had like the rebounding chasers, where it'd be like. Right, that's what I'm saying is we we correlate we we mix up rebounders with the actual value of rebounding. Right, and I will say that like part of the why Milwaukee has had so much so much success on the fast break is because Toronto has crashed hard on the offensive boards. So if you're not getting the offensive rebound, then that's an easy bucket the other way with Giannis going 1,000 miles an hour. So, I mean, that that can't be overlooked. Um, would yeah, you absolutely. Would you still say you're going to take – would you still take Milwaukee in this series now best two out of three? Yeah, I would probably. Yes. I would say I feel like 60% confident. But – you feel pretty good it's going seven. Yeah. Yeah, that I, that's I, all I really I care about. Pretty, I feel pretty good at going seven. Um What about you? Yeah, I think it's going seven. I, I took Milwaukee in seven before the playoffs and before the series, so I'm just gonna stick with that. But we both yeah, I think I took Milwaukee in six or Milwaukee in seven. I remember we both had the same finals. I um I mean, I, I've been, like, I had Portland in the conference finals. Hey, well, I you can go back and check that. I'm just like I'm really hoping we get three more games of this because I thought I think like this series has been awesome. This one and the the Raptors Philly were I'm amazing. Just, it's coming up onto my weekend, so I can watch it. Hey. So I can get up in the morning and not have to worry about. It. So it's going to be great. I'm really excited. I just love what do you call it? Um, how. I don't. I like that it's a slowed down game. You know what I mean? Like it feels physical. Like it feels like the baskets matter. Um, dude, as a slow white dude, I love slow. I love slow basketball. It just it makes more sense to me. Right. And well, it's like this isn't like um, this isn't like NCAA tournament where like the basketball is just bad. No, I know. Like yeah. guys are just missing just shots. Actual good basketball. Like we're getting collisions at the rim, and and another yeah. thing. Um, I, I mentioned the Raptors Philly series. We didn't really get a chance to, to talk about that a whole lot, but I think that a lot of people coming out of that series were. I think part of the reason why Milwaukee was such a big favorite on Toronto was I don't think people respected how good Philly is or was. Um, I mean, I think and that's fair. Um, although Philly, Philly also had a lot of. 
just I mean weaknesses that people justifiably were uncomfortable with. Sure. I mean they had a lot of like weaknesses, but I still think like top like if you've like ended the game five guys on the court, how many more teams have more talent than Philly? Golden State and that's the end of the list. Ah, uh, Golden State. That's it. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean like sure. we yeah. we shit on Simmons, but like that's still a really talented guy. And I think we're talking about like the best player in the league on a given night. Joel Embiid is on that list without question. Absolutely. Yeah. And I thought I thought we saw this postseason. Embiid was, I mean, he was just as good as almost anyone. Like defensively, he was amazing. Yeah. Incredible offensively. His uh, the off on numbers were, I think they were pretty overstated for like the the series because it was like. He was like off the court for like seventy minutes, and they were outscored by like ninety-one points in that span or something. Wasn't the last game he wasn't he out for ninety seconds? For Greg Monroe was in for like ninety seconds, and they were they were like a minus eight or minus nine swing. It was something absurd. Or something they got they got completely yeah, obliterated. It's it almost statistically impossible. Right. Well, the one that didn't make sense, like it was so inflated from Game Six because he was somehow like plus forty. In that game, they won by ten or something. It was like it's, it does not make right. any sense that, that he would be plus forty for this. And he, I mean, he played great. Um, that's also just kind of a flaw of the stat. But you know, I don't think that like you know, I, how much better can Giannis play this series than what Joel did last series? Can he be that much better? No, probably not. Uh, it'll be different. Um, I think he fits a more um, actually, I mean, I think he can be better. Um, I mean, I mean, it's, I think it's hard for anyone to be that much better than Joel Embiid just because he's that good. Right. That's, right. that's what I'm saying. Like this guy is just, this guy's a fucking monster. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, that's, that's more of a credit to Joel Embiid. I think he's, I think he's awesome. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, this is not like to poop on, on Giannis. It's just say that like, I think Giannis yeah, is great. Yeah, I'm just pooping about it. I think that it's just. There's nobody in the league who's much better than Joel Embiid. No. Um, and it's and he's and he's just he's just fun to watch and he's great. It's kind of weird too. There's this whole conversation like he needs to get in better shape, but it's like, how much better shape can you get at that size? Well, uh, he hasn't he been like I heard someone say he was drinking like multiple milkshakes a day. Like uh, it does sound like he can. Yeah, I know, I know. I just, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not there, so I don't know. It sounds like he can get in a little bit better shape. Um, yeah, we could all, I guess. Yeah, can't we all? Um, but I was going to get paid millions of dollars to be in good shape, so that's fair. Right, and also I think with like, as you said, like a lot of that is just his size. Like there is going to be some inherent limits. Lot, most of it is his size. Because can I be honest with you? I mean, and you, I don't know if you observed this when you used to cover it, when you used to see the Mizzou guys play or even just hear stories or observe. I remember, man... I remember when I was in, I was at the State Fair and the Timberwolves had, were presenting Zach Levine and like Andrew Wiggins and those dudes, and I was just around them, they were eating like trash. Yeah, I mean a lot of them do. Like, and they were just, and like, and I knew that continued. So I don't know, I mean I think, I went to Well is the worst. Like J.R. Smith was, you know, doing vodka shots at like 2 in the morning before the 11 o'clock game at the Garden. J.R. Smith was also like, I feel pretty confident that dude has played multiple NBA games under the influence of marijuana. 
I like I would bet fifty dollars that he has. We're not gonna get any confirmation on this, but I'm just saying that he has done it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think I think there's really no doubt, but I think it's more likely that he was no. I think he's probably he's probably he had to, he must have been drawn for a game too. That wouldn't be surprising either. And there was um, what do you call it? Remember, like Dwight Howard used to like, and they used to he used to be eating candy nonstop on the planes. He might still be eating candy nonstop. And for like you said, for a lot of those guys, wasn't that Lamar Odom? Uh, he, that might have been him too. He was also Lamar Odom's a whole different thing. I wasn't even like, yeah. Um, still probably the best Stephen A. clip. Do you remember that one? Oh, the crack one. His first order of business. Well, I don't know. That was too heavy of an accent. His first order of business <laughs> as owner was to sign Lamar Odom, who was on crack. That's good. Started out a bit, bit, I wasn't sure, but it ended well. Um, so, have you seen this Denzel Washington movie called Flight? Uh, I know the movie is like he's like an I'm alcoholic. At this hotel in in Egypt. I was like traveling. I was watching. Anyway, there's I'm telling you is there's like a scene. He's an alcoholic, right? And so yeah. right before his trial, he gets like blackout drunk, right? Yeah. And um, they call in Jeff Goodman, like not. Actually, Jeff, but like the guy, the actor, um, John Goodman. I'm sorry. Oh, you know John Goodman. Yeah, I'm, yeah, John Goodman. Like, yeah, drug dealer, right? Who like they call in to like get him a bunch of cocaine, and so they like they give him like every 30 minutes, or like he's on like a regiment of cocaine to like get him back up, and he's like, oh, I'm back, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I feel like that was Lamar Odom. I'm not to shit on him, but like Lamar Odom definitely had like one of those games where like Lamar Odom had too much rough at night, and they're like, let's get some coke in him. Probably. I mean, what do you call it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not I mean, that dude seems like an amazing guy, and I'm not. I'm not judging people who. Uh, who they have problems. You know, people have problems. Substances, but you know, yeah. Right. I mean, you can't be. <laughs> you just reminded me of that. It's not even. It's not even that great of a movie. So I'm not also recommending that you buy it. I, I heard it was like watchable. You know, I'm sure Flight's like a, it's a solid movie. Like. Um, I don't know about you. This is a little tangent. I mean, Denzel Washington in it. It's, I mean, it's fine. It's it's one of those movies that I wouldn't, you wouldn't go out of your way to see, but if it's on TV and you're not doing anything, just watch it. Like, this is a little, this is a side note, but like, do you feel that, do you ever feel like there's just no point in ever discussing like art with anyone anymore because like there's no chance that they've seen or heard it before and that if you do if you do tell them about it, it's just going to be one of like eight billion things on their list to go see or watch or listen to. What do you mean? So what do you mean? Well, you know, I feel like every other day someone's like, "Wow, Reed, have you seen this new television show? It's so well written. The cinematography is amazing. It's the best show I've ever seen." And I'll be like, "All right, cool." And then like two days later, someone will be like, talking about a completely different show. We'll be like. Reed, have you seen this new show? It's the best thing I've ever seen. Oh my god, it's unbelievable. Wow. It's incredible. So you feel like oversaturated with at least commentary on art? Well, I feel like there's too much content and like that there's no like I just don't feel like I like we are all what do you call it? 
it doesn't feel like anyone is consuming the same content as anyone else and that there's too much content for anyone to ever expect that to be the case. But I think that's always, I mean, to be fair, like, that's always been the case. Has it, though? I mean, like, it used really? I mean, like... Yeah, I mean, like, what was the... I mean, sure. Like, what was the predominant... You know, take your favorite theme mediums of art, whether it's music, whether it's theater, whether it's... I mean, music and theater have a bit longer shelf life than, let's say, film and video games and stuff like that, or television. But I think there's always been just a, so much to consume. I just think now we just... We, we have so easy access to it, though. I mean, and you're right. There are... There more in, there's more instant access to things, right? For example, we can get any music we want, any shows we want, so it's there, but I think the amount, maybe not so much, hasn't changed, or it has changed, but this concept that we still just can't really consume all that there is to consume, and there's constantly gonna be voices of people. We need to hear people talking about a couple hundred years ago, even remarking in their journals or stuff, like, oh man, there's these books that I just get to read, there's hundreds, there's thousands of books that I get to read. Or there's, you know, a bunch of plays that I never got to read or see and stuff like that. And I think people shared those same sentiments. Well, like, but I mean, like, in the oh. 80s or whatever, like, the, the final, like, finale of MASH or whatever got, like, the same ratings as, like, a Super Bowl. And, like, right. okay, like sure. no album is, like, no one, there's no album that every single person has listened to, like, Thriller or whatever. And so, and it's not just that the content has, has increased, it's, like, the reaction time is so fast. Like, let's say you... I, I know you're not, like, a Game of Thrones guy, but, like, you know, that's, like, the one of the yeah. only things that's, like, a uni- like a, a borderline universal experience. But even then, let's How say... How dare you spit on the Big Bang Theory? Right, that's that's true. Um, I mean, I, that is a good point, though, because, like, people sleep on the Big Bang Theory, and that's, like, a, a good example of how, like, there's a whole other America you don't realize exists. Uh, I was only half joking about that comment, by the way. I know. I'd, just, yeah. I'd be dead ass serious. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So like, so like, let's say like, the Thrones is like one of the only universal conversations. But let's say that you had the gall to want to watch the double overtime, the end of the double overtime of Raptors Sixers on Sunday night, right? You wanted to watch that instead of the start of Game of Thrones, and then it got to be too late, and you wanted to take a nap, and then you decided to watch The New Thrones on Monday night. You're already too late for the conversation. You missed out. You're done. You don't get any yeah. chance to discuss this that's, shit. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's like, you know, or like... And the we're having the conversation is different. Definitely. Or the method in which we're having it in the time frame and the mediums and all those things. Right, it's like I want the time to consume something and then like I'm not always ready to, to talk about something the day after. Like, if you notice, I generally don't, like, have sports tweets about, like, a game or something until the next day. Because I want to marinate on it yeah. and, and develop some real creative thoughts rather than just in the moment, like, oh, wow, Norman Powell hit a three. That's great. That's great. Well, we can't do that. We can't wait to have these conversations. We have to have them now. And they all become half-baked conversations. Now I'm sounding like an old man well, telling people to get off my lawn. Sports is pretty obvious. What, where there's where it's just lacking substance and where it's sort of a detriment. But I think it's interesting that you brought up just I think the not just the speed, but in which the um, so it's not the speed in which we begin the conversations. It's the speed in which we have the conversations. Yeah. So it's not the fact that we talk about something immediately after. That's a natural human thing. 
Like that's something you do in academia, people have been doing, whether they read, whether it's in any sort of job. But the thing is the window in which you have the conversation is strong. So for example, we all had that conversation with an episode of Game of Thrones for like two or three days, and then we'll forget it. Yeah. And I'll move on to something. And it's more for me about the window in which we have the, we actually have the conversations rather than the time frame in which we have it after it's ended. Does that make sense? Like, I think it's, no. I think that is what's more frustrating. Yeah. Like, and we didn't even give... We don't sometimes just give anything time to let's just say, hmm, let's, like, let's think about that for a second. Which is why I think that the rewatchables concept is kind of interesting, even though I never listened to it on The Ringer. I think the concept is, is interesting. I... It's hard for me to listen to all of them because, like, I haven't I've seen all those movies. I'm just saying. Oh, you haven't? I mean, it's it's an incredible podcast. One of my favorites. It's good. Okay, I can imagine. I'm because I, I think the comments. I think. I mean, I think the the concept is, is perfect. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great fucking. It's a great concept and all that, and it's like you want to have conversations about things or like. You know, I was getting into after the Oscars were done. I like went on a binge where I watched like seven or eight like Spike Lee movies because I hadn't seen a whole lot of his stuff, and I was just curious about what was going on there. And I saw all these great movies, and it's like, am I just going to text someone and be like, "Hey, you remember Jungle Fever from 1991? You remember that? It was a great movie. You want to talk about it?" That person would tell me to fuck off. Like, dude, how about you fucking t- tell right. me about the Thrones episode? That's what we're thinking about right now, and nothing else. Yeah. Um, sorry for that. Yeah, I mean, welcome to my uh, welcome to your life as a as a middle and high school literature teacher. Right. Well, I guess that's cool. Like it's a lot of the same. Yeah, it's a lot of the same. Well, it's like you can finally have that discussion about the Great Gatsby you've been waiting to have. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't teach Great Gatsby this year, but um, more we like we save that for another pod. More like Minnesota native F. Scott Fitzgerald. Not so great, Gatsby. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Do you, you like it or Nick? Do? More like what a dick. Oh shit! What? Did you like Great Gatsby? Got him. You fuck with her. Yeah, I mean, I like Scott Fitzgerald's writing. I think Great Gatsby's good. It's not, like, my favorite book. I wouldn't put it in even the top ten books that I read. It's a good book. But, yeah, I get why it's revered. I think F. Scott, uh, Scott Fitzgerald has a, uh, even though he went to one of my rival high schools, and they're the team that eliminated me my senior year in the basketball tournament, um, so I hate him. Um, I, uh, I, think it's a, I, think it's, I think he's a fantastic writer. I think it's a good book. Do you like... It's not... For example, we're reading Things Fall Apart, right? By Chinua Chibay. Oh, yeah. Great book. Um, that, book, that book is much better than Great Gatsby, in my opinion. You think... Because I feel like Things Fall Apart, like the second half... Yeah, not much better. No, I wouldn't say much better. No, 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 no. But I think it's better. Like, I personally, like, I thought the second much half... I was loving. That's unfair. The second half of uh, Things Fall Apart is incredible like when all the settlers come in uh, oh it's so good the first the half the ending is so good I mean the first half though I mean it's so profoundly sad and depressing but it's so well written you didn't get bored in the first half when he's just describing like what no, they I call the yams was amazing I thought the first half was amazing 
Huh. Maybe I, I need to reread it. Serves, it serves, you should read it again. Honestly, you should. Um, I think it really does. It, it, I think it's. I think it's. It's good. I yeah. think it. First of all, what's really important about it is it shows pre-colonial life, which I think is essential. And, and what it does is what made things fall apart so so much of a landmark was that it it was sort of the first novel about Africa written by an African. So you had all these novels, sort of like Heart of Darkness, and um, all these other novels where they were written by white colonizers. And that's actually how the end of the thing so part ends, right? So the, yeah. the district commissioner is thinking how Quanko would make an interesting paragraph in his next book. And the book is titled The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of Lower Niger. And so, but what you did is you got a story about African culture where their destiny is not settled where they're just living their lives and as if nothing's going to change in the next 50 to 100 years and with all of with, with all the flaws that each character presents they were, they were human and I think that was really interesting yeah and really I think I don't know no I mean it, these, these are some good points I mean I like also like maybe 8th grade read was not super interested in like the lives of these pre-colonial Africans no 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 most of my kids weren't. I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? Is you're not going to be, you're not going to be, and you eventually will be. That's the thing is, I know that some of my kids are going to come back and read things fall apart in like five or ten years, and they're like, oh, this was a fucking great book. It's also like, um, how old do you reread books? Because I don't think I really do. I so I've read read a couple. I've reread a couple books. One, I mean, I have to teach 1984 as well, and so I'm rereading that again, mm. um, which is a good book. Um, and then I have reread a couple books. I don't particularly reread a bunch of books. I could probably say I've read anywhere from five to ten books twice. It just feels like, I mean, reading yeah. a book is a... I've read Things Fall Apart three times, and I've read Nineteen Eighty Four three times. It's because I'm teaching these books. i Romeo and Juliet like four or five times, Midsummer Night's Dream. A lot of books that I've had to teach, you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, as I was going to say, Nineteen Eighty Four Things Fall Apart are at least like super happy books, so it's a good uplifting stuff to read multiple yeah, times. Yeah, it, it's been, it's been, it's yeah. Both are um, really lifting the mood, especially because it's 110 degrees and everyone's fasting here. Right. I mean, Winston no, Smith was fun. just like just hitting you with those knee slappers. It's a very funny, jovial guy. Ah, uh, dude, Winston, Winston is the banter between Winston and O'Brien. Just wow, it takes like you back. South Park episode, man. Yeah. 